Hello, readers. Coming up, it's my chat with Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach. First, though, I wanted to remind you to check out our website at booksonpod.com. You can now sort through past shows by episode number, book title, author's last name, or by category. For instance, pick the biographies and memoirs, film, TV, and performing arts, or humor category for episode number 82 with Matthew McConaughey on green lights hey everybody matthew mcconaughey here talking green lights you are listening to trey elling books on pod green lights hey the red and yellow ones eventually turn green so can we all go out there today tomorrow and the day after that creating and catching more of them for ourselves and others in the meantime and all times let's just keep living hello readers taking a break from books today for the latest in our No Books Required series with one of my favorite people to speak with. He is a guy that I like to refer to as the Bill Murray of college football. It's Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach. Mike is one of the most innovative offensive minds in the sport with previous stops at Washington State and Texas Tech before taking his skills to the SEC and he's nice enough to join me now. Mike, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing great. It's great to talk to you again. Have you been able to enjoy a couple of days in Florida, a couple of days away from the grind? You know, I try to do a little of both. The grind never really leaves, <laughs> but you change up where you do it at a little bit, so that's kind of refreshing. I'm guessing the Zoom technology probably helps you out in that regard a little bit too, huh? Keeping in touch with guys and things like that? A little bit. The Zoom is just so boring. I think Zoom's dreadful. That was like the new fashionable deal uh, during COVID while everybody's celebrating COVID. <laughs> but no, I'm, I don't have much use for Zoom. I have to do a long Zoom meeting on Friday, but I could do without Zoom, let's be honest. I'm with you on that because we've tried so many different things with zoom over the last year and even the basic phone calls or what is supposed to be face-to-face meetings it is a shell of the real thing much less when you get into the food festivals and music festivals trying to do things virtually like that like i'm really glad as i'm sure you are we are starting to return to normal now oh it bleeds any bit of life or personality out of anything i mean it's almost worse than letter writing you know I always love hearing from you because you have such a unique perspective on things. And I didn't realize this before Googling your name last night. Did you know you have a book of quotes that is solely devoted to your quotes that just came out on the market? Yeah, it's just squib kick it to a fat guy. (laughs) That's right. Volume two, apparently. Oh, he's got volume two. Well, first of all, I've talked to the guy before. I got to give him some credit. I wish I'd thought of that. And they're just stuff he sees in the newspaper and he just does a good job collecting them. (laughs) Hopefully he'll send me a copy. I got to keep track of what I said. So I, I know what to be ready for, you know. Well, do you have a quote from over the years that you still hear about more than all the others? Like, I know my sports radio station, they play the fat girlfriends quote from time to time. Is there one that people bring up to you more than the others? No, not really. That's one. Yeah, if you're really complacent and just don't feel like really committing to anything. And that definitely personified our effort 
one day against A&M, and so fortunately uh, the nine others were, were much better efforts. The one I always try to remind myself of and remember, and I don't know who said it originally, because, you know, most quotes are borrowed from somebody else or you hear it somewhere, or at least the idea. The one I try to constantly remind myself of, it's what you learn after you know everything that counts. You know, everybody gets on the path and everybody wants to get on a roll and everybody wants things easy and everybody wants to move on to the next thing quickly. But, you know, I try to remind myself, basically, that's a good way of saying you never know everything and to keep learning along the way. But it's what you learn after you know everything that counts. That's the one I try to beat into my own head and make sure I don't forget I think it speaks to this idea of making sure that you remain present, too, and just not getting too arrogant with the past or the future or whatever else, but just focusing on what's right there in front of you. Well, I think that's important there. Be present, you know, and I I can't say that uh, and that's getting to be kind of a fashionable little uh, psychobabble saying, but I think it's pretty accurate be present, you know, and, and I think that, uh, and that's what you try to get with your team because so often with a team, it's tempting to move ahead, get better at something that's important a week from now or, you know, like, you know, if you'll say something like team goal, they'll say, you know, well, win the championship. Well, yeah, no kidding. But the thing is, is there's, you know, a step each day that you got to take and how you feel that step each day and do that consistently, that's what's going to take you down that path, you know. And so you got to make the most out of each uh, opportunity and be fully engaged in each individual play. And and then when you sum all that up, that's what will take you there. Well, the be present thing is a bit cliche, but sadly it's still so valid in 2021 because we're all so distracted by these little computers in our pockets and in our hands That's obviously going to be an issue when you are responsible for the lives of teenagers and guys in their early 20s. Do you have a specific set of cell phone rules for when those things are not allowed to be out when you're trying to focus on football things? Uh, Yeah, in meetings. They're not allowed to be out in meetings. Some coaches collect them. If they have problems, they'll have a box or something in the front of the meeting room. They'll just collect them as the guys walk in. With the quarterbacks, I haven't really collected them, but it's understood you don't screw with your phone during the meeting. And our guys have done a pretty good job of locking in that way. And I, and, you know, and I, I worry about that uh, messing with the phone too much for myself. And what I want to do when I, when I retire, I want to do like uh, they say. They say Bill Murray's got a phone with an answering machine that he checks once a week. Yep, and. Yeah, that's what I need. When I quit coaching, I need a phone with an answering machine I check once a week. And then he says something like, I'll call you back if I want to. Because this thing is a, a life distraction deal. And if nothing else, it takes you away from your thoughts. The one thing that's intoxicating about the phone to me is because we grew up with encyclopedias, you know, and go look it up in the in the encyclopedia or the dictionary. Well, I do think that these phones have moved the envelope a certain amount if used the proper way to learning some things and really opening up some curiosity that I think has a value 
I've had teams before, like during the season, no social media. Each time we've done that, those were good teams. And it was just, you know, kind of a team agreement. You know, no social media that season. And those were tough teams. Which two years were those? One was the first full team I had at Washington State. And then the other was that 2000, oh, shoot, what was it? Gardner Minshew's year there. Okay. At Washington State. I should have thought of it at Texas Tech. But, you know, and. I thought it worked very well. And some of these guys are well at first. I didn't like it, but boy, it's been a relief to not be on this thing. And I'm not saying there isn't one or, you know, a couple closet social media guys that you're just not aware of or have another name. But the thing is, is it limits it as a distraction and not just, uh, I thought it was awesome, which it's easy for me to think it's awesome. But you know, the players, after the adjustment, thought it was pretty good, too. <laughs> That's right, once you get beyond the addiction. Now, Gardner Minshew doesn't strike me as a big social media guy either. He's become quite the character in the NFL, and you saw a little bit of that at Washington State as well. Do you still keep in touch with him, and do you have a favorite Gardner Minshew story from you guys' time around one another? Yeah, I do keep in touch with him. Every day was a favorite Gardner Minshew story. <laughs> Yeah, he's just kind of a, an intense, passionate guy. I mean, he uh, he really loved uh, he really loved football. He was an incredibly hard worker. There was nothing too difficult or too tough in his mind to do. You know, he thought he was the toughest guy uh, on earth and was fully <laughs> prepared to prove that he was. And you know, he was very passionate uh, about plays. He'd get excited before the play and. Then when it worked, he'd get even more excited, and it rubbed off on everybody. I mean, he was he, he was fearless, so other people that weren't sure became more fearless. He was incredibly optimistic, so the team became optimistic. He uh, loved doing what he was doing, so they loved doing it more. I mean, it was just such a positive influence on so many other people that just really generated energy for the whole team. And that's even beyond his skill set, you know. That's really cool to hear about. And i got to tell you, one of the things that impresses me most watching him operate as a quarterback, his pocket presence is elite level. I think that's a big reason why he's still in the NFL right now. Do you see things as being like that too? Really good pocket presence. Never gets sacked. And, you know, you say never gets sacked. And, well, that's – and there's a lot of people involved with uh, whether a quarterback gets sacked. You know, there's the linemen, whether the linemen block. There's the receivers, whether the receivers get open. But I think the most important one is the quarterback himself. Our quarterbacks used to get a lot uh, sacked a lot more before I started getting up their ass every sack. You know, if if they get sacked, well, we're going to have a discussion. Why did you get sacked? You know, because in my mind, some portion of it is their fault. Right. And it may not be mostly their fault, but some portion of it is their fault. And we're going to dissect what portion is their fault and try to get it fixed. And so, bottom line, if the line coach is trying to prevent the quarterback from getting sacked, you know, the, the line says, well, he held it for five seconds. 
And line cook says, yeah, five seconds. That's a long time. <laughs> you don't get a full five seconds. And then he turns to the left guard and says, so by the way, why was it your guy that got him? How come none of these other guys, uh, guys got him? Why was it your guy? And then, you know, and the receiver coach is saying to all the receivers, how come you weren't open? How come you weren't open? Well, then, you know, you can start preventing sacks if everybody holds themselves accountable. And Gardner really did buy into the fact that if he got sacked, it was his fault. And, you know, there were <laughs> once in a great while, there were balls where it barely touched his head. You know, somebody got beat or the lineman fell down, and he'd get rid of that thing one way or the other. But he would not get caught with the ball. And then the other thing is he had great instincts as far as where to go when he had pressure and buying time in there to the last, last possible second. Another really good quarterback I had doing that was Graham Harrell. Okay. Graham Harrell, who could not run particularly well. He's the <laughs> offensive coordinator at USC right now. Yeah, that's putting it nicely and, about him not being able to run particularly well. Yeah, but the thing he could do is he never got sacked either. True. And so I've started out having these quarterbacks I got watch Graham Harrell in the pocket. And the crazy thing was is he had really good presence as far as somewhere in that pocket there's a hollow spot. You know, and that hollow spot's going to change where it's at. And he can shuffle, shuffle, shuffle and be in the middle of his space till the last, last, last possible second and then throw the ball and not get caught with it, you know, and just had a sense of where that was. And a lot of people don't have a sense of where that space was. And I know Gardner watched some of Graham, but Gardner was really good at it. Now I got two guys they can watch. Gardner's really good at it as well. And same thing, like Graham there, Gardner could run a little better with it too and would occasionally throw it on the move but you know that's key don't get sacked in other words don't give up base on balls to the other guy type of deal yeah that spatial understanding is important in life much less the quarterback position speaking of football coach you're obviously getting a somewhat of a normal off season this time around you're entering your second season at mississippi state are you guys feeling a little bit better about things right now than you were a year ago um, yeah, I mean, we're older. Uh, now, I've lost track of what classification everybody is. They've got all got a year at it. So, you know, last year we were the youngest team in the BCS. So I don't think we are this year. Although, again, it's hard to keep track because, you know, some people took their extra year, some didn't. But, you know, we had some very young guys that got a lot of experience last year by necessity. Um, you know, we had to stick them out there into service, whether they're ready or not. And I think most of them, uh, you know, responded uh, pretty courageously, played tough, got better. And uh, I think yeah, that'll definitely help us this year. Up front, the offense, our O-line was really young. Playing with freshmen on the O-line is always a problem. I mean, that was such a good idea. Everybody would do it. Nobody does it unless you have to. You know, you try to channel those guys towards being uh, redshirt juniors on up, you know, type of deal. But uh, marinate them in the weight in the weight room a little bit. But now we were out there with children last year, but I thought we played reasonably well, got better as the year went on, and 
these guys will be around for a while, so we're excited about it. Hey, I saw that you uh, tweeted out a picture last week of you with Jim Caviezel, who I guess was around the football facilities, and in the tweet you called him your friend. When and where did you meet Jim Caviezel? You know, that was kind of years ago. We've talked on the phone quite a lot. There's a guy named Tom Lemming who's into recruiting, and and Tom Lemming, you know, is like one of the big recruiting guru handicapper guys, really a good guy. And so Tom got to know Jim. And Tom will drive like thousands of miles on the road, and he always drives too. He's got so many stops and things; he always drives. And Tom has a pretty good little recipe. Rents a car, drives it into the ground, stays at Holiday Inn Express, which I like Holiday Inn Express a lot too. They give the best points and they have breakfast and drives all over the country. So he knew Jim Caviso. So I got to know Jim. And then through the recruiting and just curiosity, Tom got to know Ron Ely, who was Tarzan, and Seth Parker, who was Daniel Boone. Wow. And me and Tom Lemming both. Of course, when we were little kids, we're obviously fascinated by Tarzan and Daniel Boone and, you know, watched all the shows and all the stuff. So before Fess Parker died at one point, and Jim was going around with Tom as well, and then they called me because I talked back and forth and they knew, you know, I was interested in all this stuff. And as a matter of fact, when he came to Lubbock, Texas, I took him to the Dan Blocker Museum, Hmm. which is Haas Cartwright. So we got to see Haas's Boy Scout uniform, the whole thing, and it was very cool. But anyway, so there in Santa Barbara, they called me up. I said, Tom, that's a hell of a power dinner. You've got Daniel Boone, Tarzan, and Jesus. (laughs) That is great, man. Hey, uh, on college football, though, it looks like the powers that be are about to expand the playoff from four to 12 teams. I assume you're for an expansion. I think it's uh, long overdue in the world's greatest sport. But are you uh, good with the expansion going as big as it is? And ideally, what would be the right number to expand to if Mike Leach had that say so? Um, I think it's uh, definitely a step in the right direction. I've said that from the day that I became, actually, they started asking me about this when I was offensive coordinator at Kentucky. And I've been in favor of playoffs uh, from the beginning. Every other uh, branch of football has them. And I think it's long overdue. And I haven't read the articles on them. Uh, How are they doing it with 12? Does somebody get a buy? 12 doesn't even make sense to me as a number. It seems to me... Wouldn't they be 16 or 8? Why is it 12? I'm fully with you on that, Mike. In in a perfect world, I think they expand to 16 because the way that they're handling the first round is that they're giving essentially seeds 5 through 8 a home game against seeds 9 through 12, which, okay, great if you're a top four, you get that buy, but those teams are also going to want that home game revenue as well. 
So unless there's a built-in cost there, I could easily see this getting argued up to 16 because I think the idea at this point is, look, let's not just get the conference champions. Let's get some other teams in here as well, whether it's a G5 champion or some of these at-large teams that may play in, let's say, like what you guys are doing. You're playing in the toughest division in football. Let's say you have a really good year, but you don't quite make it uh, either to the championship game or win the SEC championship. You still have a way to get in the playoff. But I'm with you. Eight or 16 makes the most sense just for that fully balanced number and not worrying so much about the buy. Well, it's my feeling from the beginning. I mean, everybody knows it'll make more money. I mean, we all know it'll make more money. That's indisputable. You know, the rub has always been who gets the money. And I think that's uh, where the battle is. And it's like most things that get self-interest and politics tied up in it. You know, then they'll passively, aggressively come up to you and say, oh, here, you have cookies. Well, don't eat those cookies. They'll give you cavities. Give those cookies to me. I mean, they're not direct or clear-cut in any way. They don't just say, here, give me those cookies. I want them. I'm taking them, you know. So they'll come up with one excuse after the next. Like, for example, my favorite one is academics. Football's the least intrusive sport to academics. So short of cutting virtually every other sport, which I don't think they should do under any circumstances, uh, we don't need to worry about football's academics in a playoff scenario. That's just intellectually dishonest from the beginning. Fully um, agreed. And so, I mean, you go for a day, it's play on Saturday, come home. And then, listen, some the big long tournament or some deal or you know, if you're a northern baseball team, you go to Riverside or somewhere and play for a week and a half, you know. <laughs> Anyways, it's just who gets the money is what they're bickering over, and it'd be a lot of money. It'd be a thrill for all the fans. And I think your target number of games is 16. I think whoever ends up being champion should play 16 games because that's essentially how uh, Division Three, Division Two. 1AA or whatever they're calling it now. They change the names of everything, and I don't feel that responsible to keep track of when they change the names. If you just want to change the names, that's your problem. I'm not necessarily going to keep track of what the name is. So 1AA plays approximately 16. Major high schools in Texas, California, Florida, a bunch of states play 16 or maybe 13 to 16. And then, and then the NFL plays a game or two more. Okay, so I think 16 is the number we're after. If it were up to me, I would have 64 or 32, leaning more towards 64. I wouldn't go more than 64, though, I don't think. And so I'd have 64 in the playoffs. But you could do 32 if you wanted to. See, but I a think, good balance I think, n- number where we're not screwing with buys and stuff. See, I think 32 would probably creep a little bit too much into allowing mediocrity in, into the postseason. Mm, I don't. We'd find out how mediocre they are okay. if they get beat. That, that's the other thing. I think these major conferences, some of these major conferences that go to the big balls and they're used to a lot of success, I think another element of this is they just need to trust their teams to make the playoffs and to win once they get there, which they would. Right. I mean, if they're as good as they're supposed to be, why wouldn't that happen? You know, like, for example, in the SEC, I don't know, if you had 64 teams, we'd have nine or ten teams in the thing. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, that's and, true. And, and which would be insane exciting. And there's one example of that it's Gonzaga. Okay, I've had the pleasure and honor of being right next to Spokane and getting to watch Gonzaga play and psycho rabid Gonzaga fans. But long before I got to Eastern Washington, there's these Gonzaga fans all over the place. Now, they don't even know, one, what Gonzaga means, which I can't say that I do either. And two, where Gonzaga's located. No earthly idea whatsoever. Okay, <laughs> however, Gonzaga has thrilled and inspired them in the postseason yeah. in basketball enough times that they are these super Gonzaga fans because the little team from nowhere did something special and was inspiring to them after their particular team got beat, or maybe while their team was still playing, they were impressed by Gonzaga. And so now there's all these closet Gonzaga fans running around the place because you got to maintain the thrill and the excitement of the basketball season into the tournament. So same thing that happened with football. Okay, so here's what you do. Okay, you're talking. The champion plays 16, but everybody's guaranteed 12 games. Okay, and which would work out nearly perfect. So you cut the regular season back to 10 games. Somewhere in the upper middle of the regular season, like say game five, game six, half of the country has a bye week. Then the next week, the other half of the country has a bye week. So you're not without football. Hmm. You still have football games, but you never have to play a team that had a bye week when you did. In other words, the very next week, you don't match anybody up with somebody who got an extra week of preparation for you or who didn't, you know what I mean? Okay. And then, okay, so we're going to select 64 teams, okay? And then it'll begin to clarify who's not going to be in the 64, okay? And so then you have two extra games that you can schedule, that can be scheduled because everybody gets 12, okay? So the week after the 10, that's a week where they're selecting the 64. Still football that week, because some of the teams that know that they're not going to make the 64 are now playing. And you'd have some, you could have some great cross-country matchups, like some team on the West Coast playing some team in the Northeast or something like that. Hmm. And you could have a number of games on that week 11, or it would be actually because there have been a bye week. So, But anyway, that week off at the end of the 10 games. Okay, then you have the 64. Okay, so then with the 64, you do home and home. The top seed gets home field, and the lower seed has to come to the top seed's place. Yeah, okay. you probably do that through the first three rounds, right? Through the round of 16? I do it just the first round. Well, that's kind of debatable. So you can do it. You do it the first round, but as far as the number of bowls that we have, mathematically it comes out about perfect to have the the bowls outfit all the other rounds. Because what is there, forty bowls or something like that? And so mathematically it works out. Then you can incorporate the bowls. The bowls are used to putting on big games. You don't spend the whole week at the bowl. You know, you go in the night, maybe two nights before you play your game. That's interesting because you might actually get more of a local crowd to those bowl games that otherwise are only being attended by people who went to one of the two schools. 
Well, that and the other thing is, is um, if you're playing for something, it's like uh, crazy exciting. I mean, right. just like the that that whole bracket stuff with the the NCAA tournament. I mean, people are chattering and yammering for a month. You know, I mean, I used to have roommates in college. And they were more into basketball than I was and less into academics than I was in some cases. And, oh, this one time this guy peed on the couch. I'll never forget it. But anyway. (laughs) Was he too too drunk or something? You didn't realize the difference? Yeah, Yeah, he just passed out, fell asleep. And so then, which I, you know, me and the other guy knew it would stink. So then we, um, in the middle of the night, we hauled it down. (laughs) to the swimming pool to try to wash it off, you know, <laughs> soak that sucker and then and, and with mixed results. And then, um, it, no, but they, you know, basketball would hit. I mean, that whole living room would be, you know, just this den of pizza boxes, cracker, potato chip bags, sandwich bags. <laughs> and at any given time, somebody manning the TV to tell the others that they came in what happened. One time this guy, he was the best. I wish I, I, I need to find him. He was one of my favorite people ever. I, I need, I would love to touch base with him again. He was outstanding. So anyway, so we'll call him Tom because his name was actually Tom. And so one time he burned something in the, in the oven. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's bitter cold out there in Utah. So then he burned something in the oven. And opens the door, and so smoke's billowing out of the apartment because you know something's burning in the oven. And then he's got basically his shorts on and a trench coat on, and the doors open. So it's like <laughs> I like I like so. Hey, you know it's twenty degrees out. Why is the door open? He goes, "Well, I burned this. I you know it got too smoky in here. I didn't let the smoke out." And then I said, well, why do you got a, a trench coat on? He said, well, it's starting to get cold, so I had to put a coat on with this door open. <laughs> and um, so anyway, basketball week would create tremendous excitement, sell a lot of pizzas and sandwiches, and, and in some cases maybe burn some food if we were to do this with football. But anyway, so after the 10 games, there's a buy for the ones that are going to be in the tournament. Those that aren't, some of that aren't going to be in the tournament. know they're not going to be in the tournament. They could play that week and they'd have a national audience. Hmm. Okay. Then you do home and home for the first round. Okay. Now you're down to 32 and you can incorporate the bowls. And then all the uh, way down to the championship game. That's, that sounds like a really yeah, good idea. Then, and then you can have some natural breaks in there. Hmm. Like, if you get eliminated the first round, you still have another game coming to you. And you can do the the Friday, Wednesday type of games, or you can wait till a natural break and play then. I mean, it would be fantastic. And you could be done before New Year's, the week after New Year. You could orchestrate it so you're done whenever you want to be. But I've added this up. You could literally be done by New Year's if you chose to. That is uh, very interesting. They they probably want to take it a week or two after that. But again, you have that flexibility, as you just said. All right, last thing, Mike. We talked about the the Internet a little bit earlier. Anywhere from 5 to 95% of what you read on the Internet is utter BS. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on a rumor that has been out there for at least a decade, if not more. What percentage of likelihood do you put on this totally unfounded rumor that Craig James once killed five hookers when he was a student athlete at SMU. 
Uh, I don't even know how that rumor started. Uh, and, and Craig's obviously a fairly dubious, low-character guy. <laughs> and anybody that wants to argue that point, I can certainly prove it. And I'd be honored to prove it and would love to because, you know, of course, he manufactures a whole story, a complete lie, and does it on his podium as a national broadcaster. And then, of course, cheated all through college as well. So it's like he's had good practice with it. Um, but um, I'm putting it at like 35%. Yeah, I, I I don't have anything that I can substantiate any of that with, and I don't. I'm not a guy that uh, believes or accuses people of stuff I can't prove. So I'm going to have to let that one go to the experts. All right, way to take the high road. He is a guy that I call the Bill Murray of college football, one of my favorite people to hear from and get to speak with from time to time. He is Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach. Mike, thank you as always for the time, man. It's always a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks for having me on, and great talking to you. You as well. I look forward to the next time, Mike. Alrighty. Thanks. Join us next time when I speak with former U.S. Congressman, former Mayor of Cleveland, and former presidential candidate Dennis Kucinich on the Division of Light and Power. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can listen, learn, and subscribe for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day.